Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 136, a chat with the Plastics Podcast. So the Plastics Podcast is Blair, Maddie, and Jacob. They are three, as they say, sort of average Americans who just love to talk about football. They primarily focus on the Premier League. And so I decided to bring them in to talk about my six big questions about what would happen this Premier League season, how Man City would do, how Chelsea would do, how Spurs would do, who the pretenders would be, the outside group looking to qualify for Europe, if you will, and talking about the rule changes. We also covered the transfer window closing in the Champions League. Uh, it was really fun. It was great. They are an awesome crew. I really recommend you listen to their podcast as well. Enjoy the Plastics Podcast and Campfire Football. We have here the Plastics Podcast. Why don't we go ahead and just, you guys introduce yourselves and just say a little bit about the show that you guys host, and then uh, we'll go from there, and I'll shine on, I'll add some shine after you guys introduce. I don't want to say anything and give you ideas. I want you to speak for yourselves, and then I'll just add on top of that go ahead sounds good uh yeah we're the plastics podcast um i'm maddie i'm jacob yeah and i'm blair and we are uh three average americans would you say we're average three american wankers as we like to put it yep uh and we and we, we focus on premier league soccer through a u.s lens for all of our state-based folks to keep up with the world's most uh, expensive league and see, I'm glad I didn't mention anything because without needing you, you all, the, the thing that's cool about your show that I love about just the vibe of it is you have a very good cadence of being able to speak off each other, not interrupt each other, uh, never speak over each other and just be able to kind of, there's not big pauses that are like, wait, are you going to say something or should, should, is it you, me? Right. That was just a very clean introduction. It sounded almost like prepared which it wasn't it was, I was like, well, I mean, okay, maybe it was what you didn't you guys see was the half an hour before we were sitting in jacob's room in a circle writing a script yeah typing it out on typewriter yeah. no 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 you say that yeah. i'll say my name and you say your name yeah, yeah. just chain smoking yeah <laughs> um but yeah. this is also a testament to a non-zoom like based uh show you guys literally do this yeah. at the same table and i think that 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 actually comes through when you're listening even if you don't know it, like, cause I've seen you guys' videos on Instagram of you guys talking, but if you're just sitting there listening, there's an ease to the way you move through conversation that is not common and especially impossible for podcasters that maybe like are in two different places when they're recording. So that is something that I think people should know about your show. It's very nice to listen. Well, thank yeah, you. we've got a private studio in-house. You're looking at it. <laughs> We just have to move the couch back five feet yeah. and we all fit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. Though. I, I, I think like, the in-person stuff really helps though. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. Like I listen to some shows that have like it definitely uh, post COVID have gone more sort of remote and for obvious, like understandable reasons, but I feel like they do sort of lose something. Um, there's, I think there's an energy that you can sort of feed off of when you're all in the same room together. Um, or if in our case, sometimes somebody brings energy that the rest of us don't have. So um, you know, I think it's useful in that regard as well. That's true. <laughs> well, let's uh let's talk footy then, since uh, but we'll, let's we'll, do it. I'll try not to talk over you guys, interrupt you guys, and just clash completely with your energy that you have going on over there. So feel free to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I would just a quick side 
before we start, is that a gold microphone? Yeah, it's a Rockville mic. I saw it. I don't know what. what it, I think it costs like 120 for two of them. So okay. I have the other one stashed away because uh, I don't know. I was like, yeah, I'll be doing a podcast and talking to people. It's just a good look. <laughs> I can't put the mic through the screen or, you know, so <laughs> it's just sitting in my closet. But I do love the gold. I was like, oh, man, everyone's going to have this. And then like four months later, I'm seeing microphones that like pulsate with different colors and they change yeah, colors. Yeah. I was like, damn, things move quick. You got this foam stuff. Yeah, Jacob doesn't even have a stand anymore. I broke. I feel like a wrestler announcer, like I'm pulling it from the ceiling, you know? Actually, I, I mean, I've seen a few people, a few content creators who have the, the uh, mic that comes from the ceiling, and I'm like, that's a pretty sweet look. I, I, I do like that. I think it's kind yeah. of cool. <laughs> have you seen that podcast that, this is completely off topic, but there's I've seen clips of her podcast on, start. on Instagram, and she does interviews she does like they're like comedy interviews they're like i guess it's sort of vaguely about like business but uh is it called girl math it might be. i think you're thinking of a radio show a um but radio she did show. an interview with drake and they're in bed they're just sitting in bed like the i know exactly what you're talking about he was about. like drinking wine or something and she was just like interviewing him and then like i've seen her do one with uh mark cuban and she was they were just like sitting on the floor in this empty room and they're just like holding their microphones and talking is really interesting. Like vibe. they're holding it like this. Yeah, exactly. They're just holding it in their hands. Yeah. Oh. And like, oh, I think the I whole, there was like, going to be mics dangling from the ceiling and they were going to be like, no, they're just like holding their microphones in their hands. <laughs> and the whole gimmick's like, kind of like, she's like an awkward interviewer. Uh, and I think I, that's yes, like the I whole yeah. shtick, but she's, she's pretty good at it. But yeah, well, anyway. it does solve the whole problem of knowing where to put your hands. That's when you, you know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> grab onto something, hold on tight, and then yeah. let, let the mind go. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, so look, first thing, the the uh, very very recent news is the Champions League draw just dropped today. Did yes. you get a chance to see it? Yes, yes. We were actually just talking about um, because the only one of the clubs that the three of us support that's in it currently is Arsenal for Blair. And we were saying how favorable the draw was for a second pot team and then commiserating with, uh, I think it was group F. Yeah. Group of death group F has to be right. Gotta be. We all, yeah. is that kind of unanimous that it's uh PSG Dortmund, Milan and Newcastle as the group of death. Yeah. I think basically like Newcastle being a pot four team just like makes whatever group they end up in, like the group of death as like the supposed like weakest of the of their draw like that's that's a tough tough group for sure well and milan as a pot three team is uh you know yeah that's true that's, also, that's pretty strong none of it makes sense so, yeah i mean I, look honestly with the champions league draw i i would just do what they do of keeping teams from the same country out of the same groups after that i don't care about like pots and like it doesn't matter the competition's so weird to win anyways other groups uh we'll just go through them real quick group a bayern Man United, Copenhagen, Galatasaray. I think that one, if Man United don't like sort things out and get better, like Galatasaray could pose an issue there. Copenhagen at home can always be difficult. I think Bayern will be fine. Uh, Group B, Sevilla, Arsenal, PSV, Lens. I have this down as like my sort of, this is the most exciting group because Lens, I think, are a really good team. PSV were fantastic last season, um, w winning the Dutch title. Sevilla, I mean, who knows, but Arsenal, all, you know, 
strong, strong, strong this season for sure. Uh, group C, Napoli, Real Madrid, Braga, Union Berlin. Really fun group as well. Yeah, that's a secret group for me. Seeing Real Madrid face Union Berlin away is going to be something. Yeah, for yeah. The fans. I don't know what stadium Union Berlin plays in, but I have to imagine the fans are going to be just out of their seats the entire time. So actually, Union Berlin, um, I looked into this last season. They uh, think they're the first club from East Berlin uh, to uh, place as high as they did or get, get into Europe or something like that. Um, what's really cool about them, their stadium is actually like way out in East Berlin. And it's out in the forest. So if you like see an aerial shot of it, it's just it's surrounded by trees. Mm. Um, That's cool. And, and, you know, the people just like walk from the town, from like sort of the edge of sort of that neighborhood in Berlin, they just walk over. And so there's a, yeah, the atmosphere is from, from all the games that I watched of Union Berlin last year, because I was curious about them just, just from a totally like, what's this like? Yeah. Um, I mean, they were first for a while. Yeah. They were doing great. Uh, they've got Brendan Aronson who got himself red carded this past weekend. Well. <laughs> we uh, saw that. In like the 24th minute. I didn't see how I didn't see what happened, but uh, it was a little, it was, yeah, yeah was, I don't know about it. It seemed like aggressive from the ref. Yeah. He he seemed like he, like the ref maybe like got in his own feelings or something and just decided to give him a second yellow and send him off. Well, but, earning his, earning his stripes as they would say. I, also Braga is a cool team. They've, they, they at times have been, They've gone deep in like the Europa League, and there's some games where they're just really fun to watch. Just a team with a bunch of like Portuguese no names that you wouldn't know, so they they could be interesting. But Napoli, Real Madrid, obviously the tasty one there. Group D: Benfica, Inter, RB Salzburg, Real Sociedad. Group E: Feyenoord, Atletico Madrid, Lazio, Celtic. We mentioned Group F, which is PSG, Dortmund, Milan, Newcastle. Group G: Man City, RB Leipzig. Servena Zvezda, and for anyone who's confused on that, that's Red Star Belgrade. Um, nice. Also, AKA, uh, and also Young Boys from Switzerland, another fantastic name. Group H, <laughs> Barcelona, Porto, Shakhtar Donetsk, who don't play in Donetsk and have not for ages, and Royal Antwerp, who uh, I think deserve to be mentioned as the team who won the belgian title last year on a toby aldevirel 94th minute thunderbolt uh if you haven't i did not know that you know about that yeah so toby aldevirel was there he's been good to see he's doing well yeah and uh on the final day of the season he scores like a rocket from outside the box goes in the top corner and they win the title uh it's their first i think it's their first one in decades so uh antwerp will be excited to be there Shakhtar, I think, I mean, you know, like I said, they haven't played in Donetsk since uh, the war in 2014, I think. It's been, uh, like, they're basically not Donetsk They're anymore. in Poland, aren't they? They're in, uh, oh, currently? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, now, now that the war really kicked off, I really don't know where they are. But that's, I, I, I'm almost tempted to just call them Shakhtar. Um, but yeah, so... Any other groups or things that just jump out to you? I mean, I know the group stage is... There's parts of it that feel predictable. So one of the things that I like to think about is which of the big teams do you actually think will crash out? What's the biggest team that you think will crash out? Uh, I think that's more interesting than trying to pick a surprise team because they're impossible to pick most of the time. You're saying like crash out in groups? Yeah. Go out in this group stage. Who's, who's, who's in your opinion, the most, most likely to blow it? And do uh, a Man United or a Barcelona? No, Barcelona last year went out third. Well, third. I think if you had to 
Um, I mean, just based off of like the current information that we have, uh, I know Real Madrid's kind of going through a bit of an injury setback with a lot of players, uh, most notably Courtois and um, I, I believe uh, as recently uh, Vinicius it has a injured leg, ankle, heart. I don't know. Uh, and and Pedro so, Militao is one as well. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know everyone kind of like favors uh, Real Madrid because they got the the black magic. So I'm not really sure if I want to say Real Madrid's going to flame out. Uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that, but you know the recipe's there for Union Berlin to finish top of the pot and go in. <laughs> yeah, they were the first couple that came to mind to me as well. I feel like so much of the the Real Madrid magic of late has been down to just like their entire defensive game plan being have Courtois in goal. And without him, I feel like that's a, a pretty big blow. So I guess um, we'll have to see how they make adjustments there. But yeah, I mean, to me, in terms of like having the biggest Delta in terms of expectation and possible outcome, I feel like the potential that is there for Madrid to have like a super disappointing uh, outcome. And Additionally, uh, now that the season's beginning, it feels like a forever ago, but uh, Kareem Benzema did go to the Saudi Pro League. Yeah, that too. That too. Oh, shit. Uh, so, I, yeah, I kind of feel that feel to me feels like last season, but that did happen this summer. So, um, I, I think that's a big, big, uh, big uh, piece of firepower Lots. they're missing. Yeah. Could, could you see possibly Newcastle focusing a little bit too much or too like? a little bit more on the Premier League season than focusing on putting the best players out for a Champions League game. Uh <laughs> well, I was going to say I actually think Newcastle might do really well. Look, the team that I have as as potential flameouts are Dortmund. Um because I think Milan look good. Uh they look actually really strong so far. PSG are still PSG. Yes, it, I think Throwing them in the hat does make a lot of sense as well. I, I think PSG, but they still have Kylian Mbappe. So, I, you know, um, but Newcastle, look, at St. James Park, they're going to be, they're going to be difficult for anybody, right? Champions League nights there are going to be off the chain. So I imagine they'll do well at home. Then it's a question of like, are Dortmund going to be any good this season? Like, I just don't know anymore. Um yeah. They, they basically seem to be just getting started. more and more like just closer to just average mediocrity as a Champions League team that you do not really look at and go, oh, quarterfinalists this year. You know, it's um, it's just not looking as uh, convincing from Dortmund. So I've got them as sort of my most likely to flame out, especially it's easy to pick one in Group F because it's a group of death. So you maybe could say that I'm being very... um. Uh, not, not being daring enough or risky enough to pick. What, pick what do you, what do you think of this uh, oh. hypothetical though? Like the of the four teams in Group F, Newcastle United have the least amount of experience with extended cup runs. So there's no there there aren't um, there isn't a solid player base that is able to take the team and then have them like mentally locked down for. Um, six seven eight nine games all the way to like a champions league quarterfinal or semifinal well i think their league form is going to suffer this year i think newcastle finishing in the top four is going to be a stretch because they're mm -hmm. they're and look they'll be in the conversation because they have a very good team like but 
Yeah, I mean, we know that teams who do well in Europe who aren't used to being there sometimes struggle in the league. West Ham are a great example last season. Went all the way, won the Europa League, had a very difficult season. And I know they went, I think, to the semifinals of the – so they won the Conference League, but they, they went to the semifinals of the Europa League the year before and actually had a very strong league campaign – but that was when they were exceeding all expectations, right? Then they get yeah. a summer, they make a bunch of signings. They're like, we're going to make a play at you know the European campaign, but also really attack the Premier League. I don't think they didn't lose a game in Europe. I think they only gave up like a handful of goals overall. Like they were fantastic in their run, right? But they were two game weeks away from possibly being relegated, which would have been <laughs> sensational had that happened. I mean, that would have been unbelievable. So was- look... Yeah, Newcastle, that's the thing. Where are they going to really bring their A game this season? And it's hard to not prioritize for Champions League when you are when you don't usually get there, you know? It's hard not to want to do well against PSG. I mean, you know. Well, I, I want to just make it pu- pu- as public as possible. Maddie, Maddie's hot take this season is that Newcastle are going to take the league. Oh, okay. It is. <laughs> So, so and, and Brentford in eighth, of course. We're gonna really, we're 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 gonna see that chaotic take. I feel like Newcastle are actually really uh, well built for uh, tournament football. So I kind of feel like they'll do pretty well. And I do think, all right, I do agree that St James Park is going to be um, a nice advantage to play at. Because, um, like, I think even like the English teams struggle to go that far north a lot of the times. Um, so. And like that place is always popping. Like even when they were bad, their their fans were still loud. Um, so yeah, I think I think like I I don't know. I I like what Newcastle have built, um, roster wise. And I think so far this season, all I've really been able to talk about with them is how they are able to keep fresh bodies in the attacking third that will just run at you for the whole game. And I feel like their sort of transition style really bodes or like lends itself well to um success in a tournament like the champions league what i I don't want to exhaust the topic on newcastle united but the the result last weekend uh i mean like with uh liverpool coming back you just want to talk about liverpool being good with 10 men just well because like it's gonna be um you know i mean you gotta be clinical with these like cup runs because you gotta like have the chances and take them because you know this is such a small sample size of games that it lends itself to chaos. So I, I just, um, I don't know. I'm a bit iffy on Newcastle United being able to just do it consistently unless, um, you know, uh, uh, their new signing, Sandro Tonali, really just takes over the midfield and Anthony Gordon decides to pop off. I just don't see them going super deep. My my theory on the, the Liverpool game is that they, they don't want to play the way they had to in that match. Like they don't want to be the one that's on top. Uh, uh, holding the ball for 60 or 70 percent of the game um they want to create transition moments and they weren't really able to do that um and like at in the at the end of the day like they got done by two counterattacks from liverpool mm-hmm. and like hit the woodwork like three times like i think this it's a pretty fluky outcome i wouldn't say that's really it you don't think christian pulisic can pull that off with milan um no i really don't actually <laughs> um but maybe two games two goals so far yeah I will say so, I my view on the Newcastle Liverpool game came down to uh one specific moment and I would imagine after the match Callum Wilson had 
Yes. Harvey Barnes by the neck, four feet up a wall. Like, dude, pass to me next time. Because it was two minutes before the equalizer. Yep. Something like that. I mean, it was ridiculous. And it looked so, like. Yes. Like, it was, I was like, oh, my God. I feel like I'm watching a 12-year-old. Like, who's got his (laughs) head down and is just dribbling. Like. Because it's his shot. And he had to carry Lester for so long. (laughs) It's a. I hope he does well uh, at Newcastle because I've always thought Harvey Barnes is a good player. I've I've always loved how dynamic he is. And the funny thing about that that situation, I was like, he's been in that situation with Jamie Vardy so many times, and probably, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know has done the right thing many times. It was just very strange, but that was it. I mean, they go two nil up. Also, Almiron hit the post a few minutes earlier. Like if they go two nil up, Allison made that save. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's the game is over, and it's just amazing how quickly things can turn. But yep. I think that yeah, I would side with the fluke side of that one. I don't. I think they could play that game from the moment Van Dyke is red carded to the end. They could play it again ten times, and Newcastle I think would win it every single time. I, I you know, yeah. I, they they were very good for large portions of the game, in my opinion. But that's. Um, but you know, that's, that's a great thing. about Conjecture. Game. Conjecture, your honor. Harvey, Harvey Barnes had a similar moment, uh, against Aston Villa too in a game that it ultimately didn't matter, but yeah. he could have squared to Callum Wilson and decided not to. So that that's a, the second time at least that that's happened this season. I think it's a, maybe a, a small storyline to watch. Well, I imagine I Callum Wilson could too. sort that out in the dressing room himself. Yeah. I back, <laughs> I back him to be like, listen, listen, young yeah. man. Yeah. Listen to me. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I feel like that kind of covers the Champions League until any matches are played, you know, with just it's nice to see the groups. I think another major thing, and I, I they may have released this by now. I didn't check. Always important in the Champions League with every group is the order of matches. Right. So if, yeah. Yeah. say, the two big teams in the group play each other uh, early they kind of get the result out of the way. And then, they, and then if they have the easiest team in the group, they can double up six points quickly. And then, so sometimes depending on the way, some of the results go, depending on the dynamics of the groups, the results uh, or the fixture list can have an interesting, can add something to it, but For sure. um, let's move on to the transfer window. Cause it's closing uh, in, a, I guess a couple of days here. Um, there yeah, is, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's tomorrow night. It, it, look, this is every time there's so many things happening. I, I think um, trying to dissect, uh, really going down any rabbit hole is almost like not necessary or worth it. So uh, because or else, you know, it just turns into a lot of speculation. But in terms of moves that you just, that caught your attention, that you like, that you want to mention anything, I'm going to go ahead and steal the first one that blew my mind today. And that's on. I know exactly what you're going to say too. (laughs) Yeah. Blew my mind. Uh, I am stoked for this one. Um, But I'll I'll take, I'll take one more away um, off the table. And that's um, his first name. I think it's Victor Baleba. Uh, uh yeah so yeah. yes so um my my mom's family yeah carlos Bellaba. my mom's family's from lille in france so that's my that's the french team that i support in france and so he was there and i saw him like noticed him last year i was like damn this kid's good so cool to see brighton taking on a player that when i watched the first five minutes i watched him play i was genuinely impressed so i'm excited to see what they can do with him 
Um, but you thinking about becoming a scout. Uh, I mean, I, I, on it, honestly, that, that what, what a job to be a Brighton scout at this point, because like, I know these people are good, but they also know that the club is going to do very well to like take care of, of their assets to make sure that they grow and get time and stuff. Yeah. You got to, yeah. you got to get the right players, but they're doing the right. They're building them up and selling them on and giving more people a chance. And it's, it's, it seems to be an environment that's working. Obviously, as I think we talked about, we'll see how long that can go on. When, when I was on your show, we, we kind of mentioned that this these cycles end at some point for these buy yeah. low sell high teams. But the Ansufati deal is is very interesting. So I don't know what 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 other ones yeah, do you guys have? What do you think? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how well he's able to stay healthy in what's considered um, an incredibly physical league. I don't know how his injury record will hold up against a premier league like center back midfielder you know yeah that's that's always imagine like joe Fati. ellington just crashing into Ansu Fati. yeah <laughs> no, he's just gonna play out wide and 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 dribble at people like you know the 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 yeah. sort of dainty fullbacks that they have in the in the league now that love to get forward <laughs> like dan bird you know dainty guys like dan bird <laughs> so dainty yeah, Blair, what do you think? I'll let you go first because I can't think of I'm, I'm I'm thinking right now. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's quite a few to consider um in terms of like what I am most intrigued by, what what drew my eye the most. I think it was the whole Kaiseido saga. Um, and like I that's that's I think pretty low-hanging fruit, but just in terms of like how that all played out, I find very fascinating um, because I we, we were kind of doing our preseason predictions and I was kind of like, well, I don't really want to do this until I know if like Moises Caicedo goes to Chelsea because I feel like that is such a big game changer for both Brighton and Chelsea. And now looking at Chelsea's midfield, um, I really like the balance that they've struck because um, I think Enzo was very good. And adding Kaiseido to the mix, taking some of the defensive burden there, it's going to be huge. Um, but just the way it all transpired to me was like very odd. Um, just the 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 fee that was quoted was like somewhere in the hundred million range, and then it sort of drew out throughout the entire summer. And then Liverpool like slapped down a big uh, big offer, which I think is slightly out of character for them um, to do that sort of out of the blue enter into a, a bit of a bidding war and then Chelsea uh who had kind of been dragging their feet I think probably trying to get a lower fee than what Brighton were asking for ends up coming in with the 115 million or whatever and end up being in sealing the deal but on ter in terms of like on the pitch like that basically sorts out Chelsea's midfield for like the next decade I would say um so the talent there I think is pretty um beyond reproach but um yeah i guess just the way that all that shook out was just fascinating to me i actually completely agree i think that you like that is so it was so strange to see it was like i think it was actually maybe 80 million at the start of the summer and it just kept mm -hmm. creeping up and then it gets to 100 and then liverpool just show up and go we'll do it and he goes I don't, you got, we haven't talked. Yeah. Nah, nah just, yeah. Nah. And he's like, oh, and he, yeah. So he turns them down, which is a really, that's a bad look for Liverpool to basically go through the whole summer, not pursuing him and then just table a bid without really, I guess, checking with his people that he was interested in doing it. 
Yeah. And then Chelsea go and spend 15 million more. But Chelsea also, since this regime took over, there have been three separate occasions that I can think of off the top of my head where they're interested in a player. They're doing some of the negotiating. Another club comes in or another club that's interested in a player. They up their offer. And then Chelsea just go, we can't possibly let this happen. Like Mark Cucurea, right? I was like, yep. well, they're looking at him, and then Man City are looking at him, and then they're like, no, we're going to get him. And so they just like dive yeah. in and give the money. Mudrik, right? Yes. Arsenal were definitely already talking to him. Then Chelsea get in the equation. Then Arsenal step up their interest. Chelsea are like, absolutely not. We're going to just overpay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, it, and, and then Caicedo, same thing. So I, there's a meme to be made out there about uh, the mm-hmm. way the way Chelsea reactively just go, fine, fine. Another 30 million. Yeah, yeah. You, wanna, you know, it's, it's, it kind of reminds me of that. Uh, what was it? I think it may have been Family Guy or something like that where they were uh, gambling and um, P- Peter doesn't know how to gamble or how to lowball at all or something. It's just like a hilarious <laughs> thing where he has no idea how to, like, um, yeah, barter or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Todd Poli jokes, um, like on an online discourse. It's it's kind of become, I think, like a just a meme. And like I I don't I mean it's funny, right? But it's not like I think there is a somewhat of a method to the madness. I don't know when or if FFP are gonna um kick in to try to regulate <laughs> what Chelsea's doing right now. I mean, it took them like five years to even compound evidence against city well i think there's one there's one really interesting thing here there's two mechanisms and i call them mechanisms because they are definitely financial mechanisms that clubs are using at the moment to circumnavigate everything that's financial fair play number one is this loan with the uh requirement to buy not option to buy but loan with the sale at the end of it the whole reason to do that is to defer the payments of the transfer to next year so that you're not adding, say, $20 million out of the books this year. You're just paying the salary of the player for this season, so it's not on the books for this season. You're buying him next year. So basically what you're doing is you're like, I'm getting him now. I'm paying the money in a year, and so that gives me time over the next year to really make sure I've got all my books settled here, right? That's the first thing. The other thing is selling academy players for pure profit. Yeah. If you think about the fact that, like, I know Chelsea's spending looks insane, and I and it's the amount of money that they're spending on transfers is, is a lot, and I think that's the biggest one that makes people go, how are they going to explain this? But the thing is that the contracts, even though they're large, they're spread over a really long period of time. And every time they sell an Academy product, they bank all of that and the amount they've actually spent this year on all of their players based on signing on fees, transfer or, you know, salaries, everything. These basically these mechanisms do cover a lot that we assume we're looking at the numbers and just doing basic arithmetic. They're doing uh, corporate level accounting and it, because so many clubs are doing this, it tells me that it's going to work um, that, that most that you're not going to see clubs getting pulled up for doing this un- until they start doing weird things like Juve did where they would, you know, pay Mark 60 up. million and then a swap for Arthur and also swap <laughs> him with, you were like, yeah, that was like, 
naked this deal makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it was like you looked at the deal and you're like, you're ripping yourself off. Yeah. You would only do that to clean up your books. So like, you know, or make it look like. So I, those are two things that I think are very important in recognizing with how the money's being spent across um, the transfer market. It's You're just seeing these weird deals and you're seeing a lot of clubs, bigger ones, more than happy to sell an academy product or a player that they got for free rather than um, someone that they signed and had on big wages. I think I was watching uh, your video uh, actually on YouTube and it was, you were covering the sales of Chelsea that made this summer. It was like 215 million pounds brought in so far from yeah. sales, which is, I mean, that's a staggering amount of money. It's a, you know, and of course the uh, Mason Mount and Kai Verts makes up a, a good portion of that. Being able to get Koulibaly off the books after a up and down year was really good i thought i thought for sure you guys are gonna be saddled with him for a long time and that was gonna be kind of a millstone around the neck but no like you you know the saudi thing definitely threw a new dynamic into the market but taking advantage of that was really smart it sounds like connor gallagher might go um two for somewhere in the 40 million pound range uh potentially so you know who they didn't get any money for who's that the transfer that i was going to talk about Oh, good old Romelu Lukaku. Oh, that was the transfer. Yeah. No, this is a good one. This is a good one. Maddie, b- b- broaden out on this one. What it t- ex- explain your feelings about this Romelu Lukaku to Roma? Oh, I I love his journey. Um uh so Romelu Lukaku is going on a one-year transfer to Roma with no obligation to buy and he's just going to come right back to Chelsea and they're going to have to do this all over next summer and they're going to have to keep paying him these outrageous salaries for not playing and Inter didn't even want him back do you think uh, like he he'll just I mean I don't know how much stock you take in it but he he did say like he really likes playing for Mourinho so I don't know if like, you know, cause he, he, I mean, I think it's well known that he's kind of like a confidence player. So if you just like continually encourage him, he'll really, uh, I don't want to say blossom, but he's like, <laughs> you know, we've already kind of seen where he, because the peaks are high with Lukaku, right? I mean, we yeah, saw his low lows. season at Inter. So I, I do wonder, I mean, like if, if the narrative around him will change this season. Are they taking over all of his wages, though? I don't think um, so. That's so much. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Chelsea are still having to foot part of the bill. And I don't think that the current owners care. I think they're like, whatever. This wasn't our mistake. Like, really, I do think that they're like, we'll just pay this until we can, until it goes away. But they're also probably like, please, Romulu, like, don't burn bridges with other clubs. We won't be able to find you a place to play, which is what happened this summer. He was supposed to like, they they were negotiating with inter Chelsea kind of like, "Eh, can you take more of the money off of the top? And then Juve were like, Hey, we're maybe interested. And he goes and talks to them and both sets of fans are like, no. And so then it's like, so then he ends up at Roma. And I will say Mourinho and uh, Lukaku did have a good season together at Man United. The first season there, they finished second. He did like, I think that was like his best fan. The last great Roma Lukaku fantasy F- FPL season was that one. I remember that, yeah. Um, Those are the games. Like, he was actually really good that year. It was worth having for a lot of the season. So, yeah, I think that is very interesting. And you're right. After he has two years left on his Chelsea contract. So this solves one of those. What happens next year? I mean, you know, it's it's going to be a very, yeah. He's he's going to have to do something at Roma if he's very if he's poor, he gets injured a lot. I mean, then it's just 
I mean, they might, Chelsea might just pay him to leave at the end if that's for the last year, if that's the case, like sort of what they did with Obama Yang. Um, Saudi Arabia is going to come calling. I mean, yeah, it's so, it seems like he's turning them down, right? That's kind is. of the potential out, but he closed that door pretty quickly, it seemed. Saudi Arabia right now has the vibe of like dancing with the stars where it's like players are like really reluctant to go do it. They're yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. I can't. I can't. All right. Fine. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'll, I'll learn the tango. I'll do it. I'll do yeah. it. <laughs> Guys. That's really good. <laughs> but, you know, it's because, and it is stunning. I mean, let's, we'll close out the transfer window talk here and move on to the Premier League specifically. But, I mean, at the beginning of the summer, Ronaldo was there. People were still kind of making fun of the fact that Ronaldo was just out there on his own. Neymar, Ronaldo, Benzema, like Conte, and and the the list of players is interesting because then you've got like Mitrovic and Ruben Neves, yep. and uh, who's the young player, the young Portuguese guy that that went there? He's like twenty two years old. Alice? No, 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 it wasn't. Uh, it was... No. Well, that he did go as well, but it, it, it's it is oh, quite stunning what they've. Gabri Vega, yeah, Gabri Vega, that's right, yeah, Gabri Vega, yeah. Now that that was a, like really fascinating, like how wow, okay, young guy too. Um, it's been a fun thing to watch happen from a Chelsea perspective. They saved our asses, like <laughs> yeah, Mendy, <laughs> Mendy and Koulibaly combined like thirty eight, like thirty eight million. You get through the door for that. You're like, all right, we'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, also actually kept out of Real Madrid. Who's who's in who's in for that? Right. He's starting for Real Madrid this season. That was um, that was unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Unexpected. Well, Courtois gets injured. De Gea, they didn't they didn't take the head and they that's true. So they ended Nobody up going for Kepa. Well, yeah, I mean, I think because because didn't he play um, if I'm remembering who's he was uh, the keeper for Bill Bow. Um, and then he before goes Chelsea, Chelsea. Yeah. 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 So I that's that's kind of um that's interesting to me because uh, I I just don't know I, I don't see I wouldn't see a normal um, transfer like that you know Bill Bow to Chelsea to Madrid I don't I, I mean like I would say fortune was in your favor this transfer season for sure oh Ch- Chelsea got so lucky that Saudi Arabia popped up when they did but not only yeah. not just them I mean I think Fulham got helped out by Mitrovic going for huge money over there rather than to another Premier League club where they were going to have to you know, have this whole saga that was going to end up with 25 million because of his age or whatever. No, it was just like, here's a big chunk of change. We're going to get this guy off your hands who now wants to leave anyway. They've yep. solved so many clubs problems. I mean, if they come in and give a hundred million to Liverpool, which I I think they're saying that it would be uh, Al Nasser that would be doing this. And they already have Sadio Mane and Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I, okay, so, yeah. if, so if they were to add Mo Salah, Fine, but if you're Liverpool and they show up with 100 million or 150 million, like this solves a problem. And I know that it Salah is not a player you just let go. You don't because yeah. he's, he's he's too good. But you know, I, you don't yeah. know. You never know once they clear 30, which is the season where the numbers just start to taper, and then you go, oh my god, we could have got 100 million for that six months ago. And right. I mean, now it's it. 25 max. Right. It's like. 
Yeah, because he's a super physical player. So I don't know what, um, you know, where that magical cutoff point is when, you know, age decides to, you know, make itself known to a player's body. But uh, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on what the, what uh, like FSG and by extension Klopp, what the intention of whether or not this is a title put a uh, season for a title push or a season to, you know, make top four because if it's a season to make top four then maybe maybe you sell Salah but if it's a season to try to win a title then you know I don't you can have 150 million euros or dollars or whatever in the bank but um given the market that's one and a half players now or or just a player with a lot of hype so yeah, yeah. keeping Salah also makes all the sense in the world no you're, you're totally right you that's a good point yeah once you well He's he looks like he's worth his weight in I don't even yeah. know what um, he's a bargain <laughs> comparatively yeah Martian uranium he's like worth more than anything on earth he's, yeah guys yep. guys out of his mind well let's let's move on to the Premier League then um I did a little uh, I did seven questions on the Premier League last season I decided to keep up with the theme of doing questions I trimmed it down by one to six so my questions basically for the Premier League season were what how Man City are going to do how Chelsea are going to correct how Spurs are going to adjust in the post Harry Kane era. Cause I think that's huge. Um, how the pretenders are going to do. So this is all those, you know, sort of satellite teams outside of the named big six. Uh, so you can, you know, Newcastle, Brighton, Villa, West Ham, Brentford, any of those. Um, and then the rule changes, which you guys had a fun conversation about in your guys last episode, the time wasting things like that. I really, there's some fun things to, to get into there. And then the injuries, which I don't think really needs to be touched on too much. I just I, I I did feel it's something that will have an impact this season in ways that, you know, I mean, a, a lot of teams are very, very well set in what they think they're going to do. And then it can all go south really fast with two or three of the wrong players out. So um, let's just start with Man City. How likely do you think it is that anyone is able to really dethrone them? And I know, Maddie, you have gone the full hog for Newcastle. You're a Jordy all the way here. So for you, City are definitely not finishing first. I don't even have them in second. What? Where do you put them? Where I you... have them okay. in third. I was okay. feeling spicy when I made the list. You're crazy. You're crazy. Okay. I have uh, Newcastle, then Arsenal, then City. Just stuck in second Then place. Liverpool. Stuck in second place hell. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, I think City have lost a lot of their players a lot of their um i don't know their oomph so i think there's room for some mistakes i think there's room for some capitulation pep can't do it again and again and again can he uh, and again can he i, mean, I think there's i think, I think like, he can that's that's, yeah, kind, of, so that's kind of what makes him pep guardiola is that <laughs> yeah. he's kind of shown he can this is that's but, but it is a great question can it really happen again um no, no one, Jacob, no one's ever, no one's ever forepeated, right? No, Just to be, no one's ever done it yet. But, no. um, but you, the like, there, there's those two sides of the coin where you know you take out key players like Gundogan and Mares, and you uh, have to operate without. Um, I mean, like in my opinion, Gundogan, an incredible player, and so uh, you know I think that's going to be a big loss for them. But you see, uh, you know. Uh, these these terminally successful 
teams have the tendency to drop players off, um, get them out of the squad, even at a point where they might still have some, uh, you know, marginal benefit to be added because you have to switch things up every few years. So we have these um, older players compared to the rest of them in Mares and Gundogan that get loaded off. Then you bring on uh, Guardiol, an incredible center back slash fullback. I don't know. A Destroyer of worlds. Yeah, that, that's, that, that is uh, added to the arsenal of center backs that Pep has assembled now. And then, obviously, uh, they brought on uh, Mateo Kovacic. And then, I don't know what the deal with uh, Paqueta is going on right now. but No, that's uh, not happening. Yeah. Because of the betting, his betting scandal that's that they're yeah. investigating, that just, like, disappeared the second they realized that he was booked. That he and another guy that were involved in this both were booked on the same day in the first half. Like, it was weird. And so City were like, we're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Have you seen the So let's get Mateus Cunha because he killed it against Man United. Uh, <laughs> so they, they they bring on these newer um, – Oh, uh, Jeremy Doku. That's what I was thinking. Doku of. Um, and also Nunez yeah. now. So, so they bring on some oh, like yeah, more players, but the idea is to like just keep refreshing the squad, even though what you have is working very well. And so, yeah, but they don't have a one Kevin De Bruyne for a really long they time don't. because he was an idiot. That <laughs> well, I don't know him. about Kevin De Bruyne being an idiot, but he like the the the, the injury was definitely not ideal for. Man City's um he played on it for months yeah no I I I agree but I think if there's any team that has the kind of depth to handle this an injury like this it's going to be Man City so um I think it's a matter of how quickly Pep can integrate um some of these key players especially Gavardiel because I think he's probably going to quickly be a consistent starter amongst that back line uh, yeah, I think what's interesting about City is that the way they're rebuilding is not with these sort of small technical players you come to expect, like a Bernardo um, or a Gundawan. It's these uh, Doku, um, he's a ball carrier. Um, uh, Mateus Nunez, he's a ball carrier. Um, Gvardiol, like the way what they're doing with their defensive line right now is just adding size um, and not really like sacrificing all that much on ball talent but they're definitely going for a more physical approach to how they play and building around a guy like Erling Holland who has in his own right just out of this world physicality I mean watching him against Sheffield at the weekend he was he could have scored like six goals they, the, the only way they could defend him was by climbing all over him like a jungle gym like they were constantly pulling the ground. He was he was really frustrated, and I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the approach you should take because um, it did seem to be getting into his head. But he could have had a, a hat trick in that match. Um, and so, yeah, I think this this team is going to be pretty scary once it gets up to full speed. And like, yeah, I think you know they they always they always find a way somehow. Phil Foden, who uh, can come on and just look you know incredibly brilliant in a match, is you know, just a nice rotation option for them. So I think as long as that is a reality for Man City, like they're always going to be contending. And I, I definitely have them as favorites this year still. Phil Foden off the bench squad player. Yeah, exactly. Like he would walk into any starting lineup in the Premier League. Like I feel pretty comfortable in saying that. So yeah, it's pretty crazy that 
he's like their their nice um uh, victory cigar i guess well i i look i think the hangover from a treble can always be difficult but who knows maybe maybe they don't go deep in the champions league this season they get knocked out in the quarterfinal and it, may, and it sorts out you know their the run in for the premier league but i i just don't see this team struggling in games um yeah, yeah some sure but like like you said erling holland like, oh yeah, he's only got one goal i mean it looks like he's going to score like four goals a game every game it looks like it and and they're not look mateo kovacic as a Chelsea fan, I can tell you right now, this is a special player that they have. Yeah, this is a very unique guy who, by the way, everyone was talking about the Croatian midfield in the World Cup. It was Brozovic, Kovacic, and Modric. And like once they had the ball, it just disappeared. You know, and this yeah. is this is an ideal player for Pep Guardiola. I, I think that Kovacic fits in with the type of guy he wants uh very well. And it's it's kind of stunning, actually, the transfers that they've been able to put together with Doku and Nunez uh, in, in just a short time. Guardiol, look, their back line was immense last season. They were so good. They didn't lose anyone from their back line, right? They lost two players, really, and they've just sold Cole Palmer, Cole Palmer to Chelsea, which is another very strange transfer. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? They did sell Laporte. Like, uh, what? Like, oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, but Laporte had almost no role last yeah, season really and then you play yeah. some Guardiola. i think you've done a step up there so <laughs> yes um, just a little bit just yeah. a little bit yeah cole palmer to chelsea's weird don't know um Great why would man city let someone go like that probably because they can cash in big because he's homegrown yep. versus someone else so he kind of makes sense as a really nice chunk of change to bring in but uh it's an interesting one. We'll see. Chelsea just have again ninety-seven wingers again, so I, it just—it's so hard <laughs> to figure out. Um, They're all wingers. wingers all the way down. <laughs> well, and speaking of Chelsea, I mean, look, I, I, I for me, this this is always an interesting uh, conversation. But I will say, watching them beat Luton three nil, I realized something during the match. It was three nil, and I was like. I haven't felt this way in a really long time. <laughs> I have not felt secure that Chelsea are going to win a game. Oh no! In, like I, it was a, it was a feeling that I was like, I remember this. I, it's so. Like, I'm not even messing around or being hyperbolic here. When it was three 0 I was like, yeah, that's right, three 0 It feels good. <laughs> Take that. See the substitutions come in. Enjoy the rest of the game. Hear the crowd be, you know, know that there was going to be excitement after the game, happiness on the field, Raheem Sterling smiling. I was like, yeah. I don't remember the last game I watched of Chelsea. I don't remember which one it was where I was like, this is great. Like yeah. watching them win. That, that's it. And 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 in some kind of dominating scoreline. I wouldn't even necessarily the performance was incredible, but um so it, it that was an interesting feeling of realizing just how bad last season was from start all the way to finish. Um, no Champions League football. They managed to get by Wimbledon last night with a complete and total B team, which was cool to see. Um, do you think Chelsea are going to do well this season? Anyone is is it, I mean, they they have to be the most sort of like we have no idea what to expect, and there is. A level of expectation that is merited as well it's not like i would say spurs a little different right where you don't know what to expect from either 
but you definitely have high expectations for a team that spent a billion pounds in three transfer windows. I think I more than any other team, Chelsea thrives off of chaos. Uh, so the more uncertain and clouded the future is, I think on average, if there's going to be a team that can handle it, it's Chelsea for whatever reason. But uh, to me right now, the biggest thing is these, um, and cause you mentioned injuries, you've got a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you almost have a whole squad of them. The the consistency to which Reese James is able to uh, see himself out of a game, um, I I think if as any Chelsea fan would probably stress me out because uh, he's he's such an incredible uh, uh, ball winner and uh, I mean the primary uh, wing back that you have on the right there, and then obviously uh, you know. Getting a player like Christopher Nkunku is quite exciting, and then immediately losing him for, uh, what, three or four months? Yeah. Uh, Wesley Fofana, <laughs> who, by the way, got injured the day after we recorded on your show. And I yes. mentioned how excited I was, and you, and Maddie, you were like, yeah, tough to keep him healthy. <laughs> Bang, ACL the next day. Yeah, she, she hit him with the, the ACL ray gun. I, remember that. I was like, ooh, I said some choice things about him. He immediately got injured. I'm no, not sure. no salt in behind those comments. Oh, no, no salt. We just, you know, nursed him back to health and he bad mouthed us in the media. I feel like uh, it's going to be not not as bad as as last season was, but it's still going to be a slightly up and down year for Chelsea. I think just given that the they have to sort of forge an identity and sort of uh, flesh out a squad of players, and I guess sort of create a hierarchy in a sense. Um, but with that being said, like I I was really high. I'm really high on that midfield um, now, and Enzo Fernandez like. Uh, talk about a guy who was able to remain consistent amongst all of the chaos last season is continuing to show his quality. Um, he's going to end the season with like 10,000, like long balls into the final third, I think, which is going to break all the records, but um, and 60 yeah. yard switches of play. Like, yeah, exactly. It's just like, he's like the ultimate tempo midfielder. I really love watching him, but um, finding Raheem Sterling again, I think you know, obviously maybe a guy who's frustrated with the way things went last season, but he definitely looks like he's sort of back to his old self um, and has had some really great performances so far. That's going to be huge. And yeah, I think, you know, Pochettino is going to, uh, he's going to mold this group for sure. But I think just with how sort of big uh, the squad is and how sort of malformed it is at the point, at this point, like, it is still kind of like a, a strange situation at Chelsea um, for the time being. And I think, you know, there's going to be some like growing pains, I guess, because it does feel like this is a still sort of in some ways a young group kind of trying to find its way. Yeah, so, definitely has that vibe. Very sort of fence sitting, I guess, position. But like, it's definitely not going to be like a 10th place position. Like, I think they looked really good in that Liverpool match. Um, I think that that West Ham match was weird and unfortunate and then like they just looked really great against Luton so like um Luton by the way had some moments I guess but yeah I, I think it's just going to be like that um and ideally you just see it continue to progress from a Chelsea perspective yeah I mean it'll it, it you're right it'll be it'll be weird um just to see how 
they they bring in all. I mean, it's so many players, right? And what they decide to do, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think this thing could go bang though. Like if Inkunku comes back, because it's like it's like three to four months, right? Like he'll he'll be back this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Reese James is, is they're both supposed to come back before the end of 2023. And look, Reese yeah. James, I, I will agree, he is the one that when he gets injured, Chelsea fans are like. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. It's the worst player to lose because he's a difference maker in, yeah, ways that yeah. So, I I will say well, watching um the freedom of just uh, Ben Chilwell just roaming up and down that left flank. I, that's a great sign to me. Um, and the way uh, Malagusta is fitting in. Uh, I mean, I think you know you're well covered on those ends. I should say. I I realized after Blair started talking that all I was doing was like throwing out pessimism about Chelsea's <laughs> season. But uh, yeah, uh, I think Blair mentioned it earlier. That midfield sat um, for quite a while, and gosh, uh, Nicholas Jackson in preseason. Um, and I I I have um, I am expecting him to do to have like a uh, like a 10, 15 goal season. So. Um, I don't want to, I should, is there a wood I can knock on? But uh, I think Jacob's just really salty at Chelsea because they took the two midfielders that he wanted. <laughs> I, it's, I, I just, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it always yeah. happens. It always happens. That's yeah. the way Chelsea have been. Every time there's a midfielder that a couple other clubs want for the last 15 years, they'll just jump ahead of the queue. I, I'm curious to hear where you think Chelsea are going to finish. Fourth, fifth, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of really good pieces there. Look, Enzo Fernandez is incredible. Like, I know Raheem Sterling got all the plaudits against Luton for, you know, scoring two. His first goal is fantastic. The second one's a great link up with Malagusto. Then he has a, a nice assist with that, like, chop volley. But the ball from Enzo to Raheem Sterling in that where he gets it, Juggle, he juggles it twice and then volleys it sort of like he receives it in the air, pops it up, takes another touch and then hits it all out of the air. It's absolutely fantastic. And he he's impressed me. I mean, it's it's really, really shocking to see how well he performs despite the price tag, the age, the fact that he came from relative obscurity over a year ago. No one knew who he was. It's pretty stunning. Caicedo. We'll see. Similar unknown quantity, but can you do what can you have? Does he have the same personality as Fernandez? Fernandez has personality. You can tell that Enzo is so sure of himself is Caicedo, you know? Um, And look, I think the rest of the pieces are there. It's obvious. It's a good squad. Once they have all their, all their players, there's a good coach. Um, I think it just needs to settle down. And it was a very, very tumultuous year last year. And, when they're a settled team, again, it's, there's enough talent there. You should be in the top six. And then there's the teams that have are going through turmoil, right? Spurs, I mean, we can move on to them. They're <laughs> like that. It's, you know, they are were consistently in the last five, seven years, a team that you always looked at as a top four contender. I really don't know if you can say that about them this season. Um, that hundred pound, hundred million pound cane money doesn't look like it's going to really get spent and if it does i'm just really not sure what they'll be able to get for it considering everyone knows they have the cash and everyone knows they like they can't show desperation right um richarlison's probably not going to get 15 goals this season like 10 maybe 
depends if he takes penalties um, and balls go off his face or something. <laughs> he's not he is a good player I, I like a lot of what he brings I just don't see him as your out and out finisher there's talk of them losing Hoiberg um, yeah weird one which is a I I'm not sure you want to do that I think he's a pretty good experienced player who can know he just is savvy you know Rodrigo Bentancourt coming back is going to be huge for them I think he he him going out last season was one of the turning points I like Ange Postacoglu. Love his uh, yeah. love his press conferences. Love the dude so far. So I'm rooting for Spurs to not be a dumpster fire. I just don't think that they'll be. I think it'll be a little bit up and down, um, but I don't think it'll be terrible. Um, it's just a rebuilding year for them in huge ways because they've lost the best player they've had for decades, basically. Well, I, I think you know with Ange coming in, we found Yves uh, Basuma was rediscovered. You know they they found him again. And and like, oh, look. yeah, that in the closet over there? the entire time. <laughs> so I think that I think that was good, and they kind of um, yeah, this uh, I mean, obviously, you know, signing James Madison was uh was a helpful um having like a dedicated you know attacking midfielder helps something they haven't had in a while. Um, he's but, looked pretty good, but I I think I think the opinion about Richarlison's probably unanimous. Uh. Obviously, the shoes he's going to have to fill aren't you know that's that's unrealistic standards. But I I it's not I'm not seeing a lot of um, signs that he's going to be the source of goals for Spurs. Seeing a lack of enthusiasm, I think. Rashardson, yeah, Rashardson, yeah, a lack, a lack of enthusiasm. I, I, so I I made this comparison last season, and he went he was uh, Everton, yeah, yeah, to Tottenham. And I know you guys gave me shit for it, but I said he went from, you know, being the biggest fish at Everton to not starting at Tottenham. And I think that blew his entire like self-confidence. And obviously the whole Conte experience was not probably great for his mental health. And now he's trying to find his footing on a team that he's probably still pretty unsure of because he didn't start, didn't play for an entire year, had to talk to the media about like, no, I'm doing great. And now he's got a new manager, lost Harry Kane, you know, he's got James Madison. So like there's, I don't think, I don't think he's confident. He doesn't, he isn't playing like he did at Everton. Yeah. Um, I like the, my read on him was that like he was doing a lot of the right things. So they just weren't kind of coming off. I, we've only watched, you know, I guess two of the, I've seen two of their matches this season. Um, and I see a lot of Spurs fans pretty down on Richarlison already, um, which is, I guess, understandable if you're used to seeing Harry Kane there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's just a really tough, uh, hole to fill. Um, but like he he was getting good service i thought from from madison especially coming from the midfield and the creativity is there for sure it's coming from it's more team creativity than it is individual like it was with kane and so i thought that all sort of bode bode boded is that how would you say that bodes i guess it bodes it well it does bode well yeah um that would bode well for um 
whoever they put in as a striker, as long as they're making the runs and, and you know, uh, making some nice off ball movements, things like that, that eventually that the, the starting striker for Spurs doing what you'd expect a starting striker for a club of that size to do would eventually just get goals. But um, yeah, it seems like it's just not really coming off for him so far. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that he, he probably will struggle a bit. I think given the the burden, I guess, of trying to fill Harry Kane's shoes. Um, I think my question, though, if I can take over as the, the moderator here, uh, my question is, do you think selling Kane was the right move this season? Uh, the right move. Um, yeah, because I think it's pretty clear he was going to field his options next summer. Yeah. Right, like I, I, I think the next summer he, th- there would have been so many clubs sniffing around for a, a you know, free transfer. They weren't going to keep him. Getting a hundred million and the fact that he's left the league, I mean, that yeah. sorts out a lot of the the, the issues of the, the years of Man United talk. And then for so two many, weeks yeah. there, for two weeks there was conversation about Chelsea. I mean, Spurs fans must have been like, "Oh no, this is the worst yeah. possible thing ever." <laughs> So the fact that he goes to Bayern Munich, for a lot of English fans, that is out of sight, out of mind. That is, he is now on the ISS, as far as they're concerned. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and I think it's I think it's actually great for all parties because Spurs need to reinvent themselves. Um, they they did really well in the in the Harry Kane years. They made it to a Champions League final. Like we can't like that is I know it sucks to get there and not win. And I know I know that that's like you only really remember the winners, but Spurs are not a team that were really ever a Champions League finalist contender ever anyway. So th- this was big for them. Can they now build off of everything that they have done in this time? They have this incredible stadium that makes them a lot of money, not just on game day, but they can they have NFL games, there are tons of concerts there. Like like it it the club is going in a direction where they're continuing to be, you know, really part of they're they're breaking cl- into the elite just that little bit more. Like Spurs are becoming a team that I think are unrelegatable, right? Like I and I, I I've said this before about teams in the Premier League. There is no such thing as Premier League stability unless you are United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. I'd say Spurs maybe now Newcastle. And it's because you have so much money that you can make crazy decisions to save things, not when things go terrible, but before they even start to get bad, you can just make a change and and, and it doesn't, you don't have to worry about the money. You can bring in someone new. Yeah. And there's always, there's so much depth in terms of player talent and it's, they're not relying on one person to keep them in the league, Right. Every other club is one bad manager, two two sales, and an injury away from relegation, right? Okay. And I think the fact that Spurs are pretty much, I'd say, almost immune from that at this point, just how big of a club they are. They, they're able to attract major managers. They're able to attract big players. I, I think they're in the, they've gone in the right direction. How do you rebuild after probably your most iconic player of, a long time. I mean, I mean, you probably have to go back to Jimmy Greaves for a more iconic Spurs, like man, you know, man of the club kind of thing. Rebuilding after that's tough. So that's, I don't expect a lot of them this season, but I really, I do think the club has 
changed where they were at, say, from 10 years ago? Yeah, I think the the style of play they're currently fielding is a nice consolation prize given the year they had last season. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you see Anj's philosophy on the field already. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I were to be picking a club to watch every weekend, um, that was going to dictate whether or not I was happy for the rest of that week. I would want one that like played, many fans. Yeah, I would want one that played an appealing brand of of ball. You know, I, I think the suffer ball or sit sit deep encounter can be exhausting. exciting. I mean, like it was exciting under Conte, you know, granted, but the like post-match it Conte. gets yeah, that too. Uh, and the fights and all, but it gets it can get stale, I think. Um, and I think the the expir- expiration date on those styles is short so yeah i think what on just building is just much more appealing overall especially with uh some money in their pockets well so spurs have to now be considered part of the pretenders group i wouldn't put them in the nailed on top four anymore at least not at the moment so in that pretenders group is obviously everybody who could have one of those great seasons like brighton did last season and you know gate crashed the party a little bit i you know West Ham, maybe. I think they've actually not looked very good despite their two victories. I think they should have been taken to this take they should have been taken to school by Chelsea. Once Fernandez Fernandez should have scored his penalty and then they should have just run away with it. Yeah. yeah. The game went totally the opposite. Really direction. weird swing in that match. Yeah. Then it was um wait, who did they beat three one? Was, was it West Ham Brighton. Chelsea? It was Brighton. No, they beat Brighton. Brighton. Yeah, they beat Brighton. Oh. Which was, again, like the most smash and grab, like David Moyes thing you've ever seen, right? It was yeah. like, so you've got all these teams. Brentford, no Ivan, no Ivan Tony at the moment, but Wiesa and Mbumo keep scoring goals. Brighton, obviously, a lot's expected, I think, of them at this point. Is there anyone, uh, who, who do you think of these teams? Uh, obviously, Villa, um, who is there anyone else? Maybe do you think you know Nottingham Forest are going to go and make a push for the top six or something? I don't know. What what what? Who of the of the pretenders? Those those other teams. What are you excited to see this season? Top six. Well, we're firmly in Brentford eighth place this year, so that okay. is there's there's nothing going on there. Um, no other team can have it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at this. Uh, table and i feel like i feel like i say this every year but it's a congested congested uh top top uh section here um i mean i i gotta hope and i, I want aston villa under emery to do really well um i i don't we haven't analyzed them yet though so i, I don't feel comfortable in like having any educated takes have you called your dad blair um, <laughs> um we did watch them get pretty resoundingly <laughs> trounced by by newcastle That's true yeah um i i aston villa would be the one that i pick i think they're this they're the most intriguing storyline from that group um just because of i guess my prior history with unai emery and then me having to subsequently swear fealty to him um after villarreal knocked a, a arsenal out of the europa league um so i do call unai emery dad um but yeah, I think they're very interesting. Musa Diaby looks like really legit and is a ton of fun to watch. He's just incredibly skilled. Um, that goal he scored against Newcastle was sick. Um, 
And like they're definitely spending money with intention. You know, I mean, Pau Torres um, and and Diaby were, I think, pretty notable gets for them. Bringing in Yuri Tielemans on a free was just a great move. Um, really savvy business from them. Uh, a really, really talented guy who a couple of seasons ago probably would have been going for 50, 60 million pounds to, um, you know, uh, one of your traditional big six clubs. Didn't get that move. And is now a villa. So, I mean, that's like just a really good opportunity get for them. Um, and so with, with Unai Emery, I think it's just going to be, he's got plenty of talent at his disposal. Does the sort of second season Unai Emery thing rear its head or does he finally beat the charges? Because like, uh, what was it last week? There was Burnley. They were, they were comfortably ahead, right? It was two, one, um, they score Maddie cash scores two goals then they concede uh to burnley to bring it to two one i'm sorry it's two nil then they conceded uh burnley that brings it to two one and it's like oh boy here we go this is this is the classic uh storyline for an emory game like there's plenty of uh comfort and control and then all of a sudden something uh switch flips and they just look at, in disarray confused and i don't know there's just something weird about emory teams so um i think that they're they're really like really good on paper, but I just kind of wonder, uh, you know, does the uh, the Emory gene still run through their uh, their blood? <laughs> yeah, I think you know we talked about how Emory tactically is like obviously brilliant, and there's a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's like, very good. You know that like from just player. Um, uh, <laughs> what do they call those like? reviews at like the end of a book where it's like they end up just kind of like the jacket the copy or yeah, yeah yeah it's like that's like pasted onto like emery's jacket basically yeah. but i think the intensity to which some of the the uh manner in which he trains these these guys and their teams there, there's like a there's a cycle there's a burnout yeah. so you know that's that's where we um especially from observing arsenal and then subsequently villarreal and the story with Arsenal too, like not to go off on this weird tangent, but the story with him was always that he was sort of poor at communicating because his English wasn't quite that good yet. And then also his tactics were often kind of confused because uh, he was changing things so often. So I think he probably drew some lessons from that and probably won't make some of those same mistakes this time around, but I uh, can't say for sure. <laughs> so. But yeah, to me, that's the one that I'm keeping an eye on for sure. Aston Villa gets the plastic podcast stamp of approval. Um, and obviously, I guess Brighton, right? I mean, I, I feel like we everyone has to say Brighton. Yeah, I fall over Brighton. I love Brighton. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> what I, and I know you said it, but I feel like you got to mention it again. Ansu Fati on a loan deal to Brighton. Yeah. What? They like it's kind amazing. of get Tottenham for him as well. You know, it's great. Yeah. So if anything, that's that signing should communicate everything you need to know, you know, about what Brighton's trying to do this season. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, who else is going to step up for them? I think everyone's interested in that, right? Like Julio and CISO last year scored two absolute bangers in the space of like two weeks. And everyone was like, why isn't he on every week? It's like, well, cause we have Caicedo, but he's leaving. And so, and CISO will come. It's just, it's great to see the way they've, they've done this. And, it is exciting because the Deserby Deserby deserves hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of praise because this was an exciting, cool, progressive kind of interesting team under Graham Potter that didn't score goals, 
Yep. My goodness, like what they're like now. And and Kairo Matoma is probably the 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 big revelation. I think everyone's like favorite new like box of tricks of a player. Uh, so yeah. yeah, Brighton have to be the most exciting in that way. They've got European football to deal with this season, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. And you know, we'll we'll what will Brentford do? I think you you guys say eighth all day. That's it. So we'll see. But um, in, we we won't we won't talk about the injuries at the end because or else we'll we'll go till midnight. But the last thing I want to touch on is the rule changes. And and you guys had a very fun conversation with some uh, uh in your most recent episode. And you guys spoke a little bit about some of the the yellow cards we've seen. I think Maddie, you brought up that, uh, and I don't know who this was, but that a player from a team that was losing got booked for time wasting, um, which is definitely fascinating. Um, yeah. And and I, having listened to you to your opinions on this, I, the thing that really kept coming into my mind was there is a. We, we, we have a problem right now in the game where there is a no one knows where those 35 minutes disappear to. No one really knows. No one really is put together like that. I mean, I'm considering seriously this weekend taking my a, a stopwatch out and like actually stopping multiple times. So I have to get to see what happens. Um, I will say right now, the whole thing on throw ins. The thing on throw-ins is mind-numbingly dumb. Throw-ins are not what waste minutes of the game. Like, that's why I think the whole yellow carding players for, you know, taking 10 seconds on a throw. It's like, you know when it's egregious. How about, like, what if they walk 10 yards up the line and then yeah. throw it in, but they do it in five seconds or three seconds? Are you going to let them off the hook for that? I don't know. The throw-ins are not the issue. What sucks timeout are goal kicks, corners, and free kicks. Those three are the set pieces that just, I mean, think about it. Ball goes out for a corner. You got to wait for center backs to run 65 yards up the field and not run, but jog slash walk. Everyone gets into position. This guy has to like check his hair and do redo his socks before he whips the ball in. How do you deal with that? Um, You know, you guys mentioned basketball when players, they have eight seconds, right? To inbound the ball, right? In futsal, you've got five a lot of the time. So there are these rules that exist, but this is where the ball is contained. The referee gives the ball in basketball to the player as soon as they have it in their hand, they stop. We're not going to do a thing where the referees have to get the ball and then give it to a player after throw-ins, right? Or go, like, that's not going to happen. It's a fantastic question. What, do you guys think that the 60-minute game clock should be brought in instead of the 90 minutes, which would be a, a, a branding disaster for so many people associated with the game? Um, do you guys <laughs> yeah. think that, like, what, what, I don't know. In terms of these new regulations and, and this, like, low bar for time-wasting and, and dissent as well, um, what are uh, what some of your impressions so far from the first couple weeks and how this will pan out over the course of the season? It, it does feel like, uh, you know, we're doing the thing where it's like, <laughs> like, we're just, we, we, we're very good at pointing out problems, solutions. That's your job. We're just here to complain. Uh, but, Nobody likes my solutions. I offer <laughs> solutions, but they're, they're too far out there, I guess, for uh, too, too radical of a thinker. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause okay. I know, I know, um, 
Blair, you discussed some whack, like in jest, tongue in cheek, some wacky solutions at, towards the end of the episode. They were workable. Last week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the entire idea, right, is the. And because, like, now I, I feel like a little bit it's false advertising on, like, strictly is the idea that the clock just keeps running, right? The game keeps going. And it's, 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 it's fundamentally so different from a all of the major american sports where there is clock stoppage um aka time for ads so we have this concept where in theory the game should smoothly flow for 90 straight minutes and the ball should always be in play and there's beautiful soccer being played but you know i think in reality when you have to account for this new rule change and then just given by the by the evidence that we've seen, sprint to throwing a ball now, um, not really take too long to line up and you know, move the 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 wall of defenders a little bit, you know, to the left of the goal. You know, the the goalkeeper just has to immediately know where to place them. I I I think that there just has there there we can see what the refs are going for, right? They're about trying to be a bit more strict. And there's going to be a lead correction, but there, I think that I think they have to just let off the gas a little bit there, and maybe, maybe the fans will be okay. I I, I think people will eventually get used to it though, because you know there these small rule incremental rule changes have been happening for what when was the tw- uh, since 1992? So um, I I I think the. Uh, most importantly, defense is going to get much more disciplined. Well, you yeah. guys do know about the rule change happening, I think, next year with offside, right? There, It's going to be like your whole body has to basically be beyond yeah. the defender. It's not yeah. going to be a toe or an arm or a nose or a head. It's going to be like you are offside. Yeah. <laughs> if it's if you guys, if it's, you know, kind of like one of the, the naked you know, eye can see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which, where there's no 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 concern with like, yeah, so players cannot be offside for their kneecap being ahead or like just their shoulder or something. Like it will be like your whole body, which right now you're hearing a bunch of people saying, "Oh, this is just them trying to just too hard to defend." It's going to be impossible to defend. It's like okay, ridiculous, but yeah, I think it it does point to what what you're saying, sort of people getting used to the rules and adapting to them. Um. Do you think that'll happen, or do you think the refs will just forget just gonna about get rid this of in about six weeks? Like, do you think we will I see a yellow know. card for a 10-second throw-in in December? <sighs> it's an excellent, it's honestly an excellent question. I think, for me, the thing is, uh, the, the results of a lot of these changes in enforcement, and the fundamental problem with how enforcement is doled out in soccer is that the the card system is it's too blunt of an object it it you know getting two yellow cards in a match is pretty easy to do uh when you're getting one of them for standing on the on the sideline too long to throw the ball in and i think the problem i have with it is that i hate watching soccer matches where one team has 10 men on the pitch i think it just kills the game it sucks and so i think from a sort of a viewership perspective um i think that uh, is a bigger problem almost um, because, yeah, you can take a really exciting match and then just absolutely kill the vibe with a red card. 
Um, and not to say that that always happens, but I, I think generally that's the case. Um, I think that I don't know necessarily that I was ever really calling out for more accurate timekeeping, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. I think that as a soccer fan, I... I could get really riled up and upset watching Tim Kroll take five minutes to take every single goal kick for Norwich because they had a point that they're trying to hold on to. And like, I get it. It's part of the, part of the shithousery of the game and everything. Um, and I, I think that should be punished in some way. I just think that the way it's being, you know, executed right now, is just too onerous, you know, um, Tomiyasu should not have been, you know, sent off like he shouldn't have been it i think that's a ludicrous the foul that the second yellow was given out was also super weak but he shouldn't have been sent off for the time wasting thing um i just think that's i think it's ludicrous oh nana got a yellow card for time wasting in the man u game this weekend when there was a second ball on the pitch and he was trying to get the ball off the pitch yeah, I yeah. I've, so th- seen- those are the things that'll disappear. They're gonna look back at that and go, "Ooh, maybe yeah. we should check this. Yeah. Maybe we should check that." And then they're gonna have a bunch of things to consider. And then ten seconds will go by, and then the ball will be in play, and they'll be like, oh, "I guess it's over." <laughs> yeah, but yeah. What, the thing online. you mentioned about Tomayasu that's really interesting to me. Another it, rule issue, just sort of a divergence from the time, real quick. You cannot like the fact that VAR is not allowed by protocol yeah. to check yellow cards. Therefore, they can't check a second yellow card. Like, exactly. Also, everyone in the world knows that Andre Ayu is the most, he is the <laughs> best foul hustler I think I've ever seen. The yeah. dude knows yeah. how to go down and, and buy fouls better than anybody. I mean, he, like, he would play, be yeah. my guy. He would be my guy for that any game. I've seen Crystal Palace do it. So many times he gets the ball, he dribbles over, he slows down, they hit him, he goes, falls over like a wet noodle, and he yeah. always convinces referees. And like, I thought, look at that again. You can't give a yellow card for this. Uh, but that that's another side. To, in terms of how the rules get made and then the way they're applied, like you said, so onerously, I'd also say punitively, right? The fact that two, exactly. t- two minute errors can get you sent off. I think of a red card as, let's go park rules. I'm picking yeah, up yeah. the ball and telling you to fuck off because you're a 100%. dick. Like that's, you know what I mean? Not all oh, you stepped on my foot twice, leave. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, that's sort of how I've, I've always looked at how can we make the rules at a professional level reflect the actual feeling that a player like, you know, deserves to not be on the field anymore. Cause you're right. It yeah. kills the game. So Jacob, what were you going to, what were you going to add there on the, on the whole time issue? Oh, well, I think, I've seen because I was going to preface by like this isn't something that I've come up with. Like I've seen this um, a lot of places, but having the refs do a post match conference on the calls and like explaining why they gave what they gave, I think even if it's aggressive, it would really appease the fans to at least hear a logical system of reasoning mm-hmm. as to why cards were applied and why, I guess like this many minutes were added. Um, but they won't because, uh, you know, I, I, I think like you have to, I, I guess you have to protect the refs, uh, but I don't really. I, I don't blame the referees for wanting to, or for being more strict with the descent um, yellows. Cause I, I, I guess I can, I can get the situation where you're trying to uh, keep the temperature of a game 
steady uh, and in control. And it's hard to keep an even head when you're being surrounded by players from a team who are, you know, complaining about a certain call or whatever. I guess that's, that's something that I think in a lot of leagues that I watch, like in, in basketball and things like this, you see a lot of interactions with the players and stuff. And like, they do cross lines, you know, from time to time. So I feel like that's fair um, to use your, your cards that way. Um, But I just think that some of these other changes are maybe just, they're just kind of like, and what I fundamentally would worry about is how I do think um, that soccer does still achieve a pretty free flowing game, you know? Um, And while I kind of half jokingly suggest that we move to like an NBA style system where you have eight seconds or whatever to throw the ball in. The problem with that is you in the basketball, the referee hands you the ball and then they blow a whistle, you know? And so the game is dictated by the blow of a whistle. Um, And I don't want that in soccer. I want it to be able to just keep flowing. Um, And you even see that like in certain, I think in La Liga, uh, in basketball, the referee doesn't even touch the ball when it goes out of bounds now. I think uh, the players just pick it up and can keep playing, um, which creates a lot of fun transition moments. And yeah, so I think the more free flowing, the less chopped up games are, the better just generally. Um, So yeah, that's my my coward's perspective, I guess. I'm not going to say what uh what should be done to fix it but just don't don't ruin the basic fundamental of the game because i think that's what makes soccer so appealing to watch well i think what you're also saying is like the reality is with anything and especially a sport like you've got to take there's there's good and there's bad in the way the rules are set up there's there's things that obviously over time can change and the change is a good thing offside i'm like what would the game look like without offside imagine that was not a rule for a long time it was absolutely cherry pick boot ball your formation was a two two six you know what i mean we're like you know it's just crazy (laughs) stuff um you know i mean in my lifetime i have never had memory of being able to kick a ball back to the goalkeeper and then being able to pick it up with their hands. That was not allowed from when I was a kid playing. And that changed literally, I think, like in 86, I think when I was born, like right after I was born, this changed. So my whole life, you've never been able to do that. But imagine what a change that must have felt like to a lot of people when it was done. And so, look, I'll, I'll also agree with you. The descent, this is the only sport where you see players uh interact with officials the way they do at the highest level. This is the only sport and it's, and it is embarrassing um, (laughs) because what it does is the whole diving thing, the whole play acting thing. A lot of that is lent to the fact that you're trying to con this person. You're really trying to get in their head. And if you're not allowed to go and yell at them, talk to them, you're not allowed to surround them. You're not allowed to influence them as much. I think a lot of that other stuff just kind of starts to go away. Um, But the reality is it is a game that if the clock stops, it changes, right? If the clock stops every time it goes out, then, you know, like you say, the transitions may not happen as fast. I mean, if if they just put the ball back and play great, but you know, what happens to the teams that are breaking up play? Well, they can just do that. They don't have to worry about time wasting. They can just break up play. Like I said in that video I made about this is something I noticed Southampton doing routinely in games that they were winning i know that's not that many but in games they were winning they routinely (laughs) 60th minute player goes down sits down needs treatment two three minutes of that goes off the field comes right back on five minutes later goes down needs treatment the substitutions getting ready is getting prepared he comes back on the field goes down one more time the substitution happens 
I mean, that was like six or seven or eight minutes of time they just zapped out of the game. Yeah, for sure. And that was injury time. Like, that's what it was. You know what I mean? But they were able to do it in a way that just the correct moment. Oh, you've just given up a chance. Sit down. We need to break up the the, the momentum and rhythm. I don't think that goes away if you just add a stopped clock, right? I, so then what 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 is it we want? Maybe it's maybe we all think we want something. And in the end, it's better if nothing gets touched, right? It's It's a weird, <laughs> weird predicament. Yeah. Matt, you got anything to add on that? No, not really. I mean, don't touch it. Yeah, it's it's a everybody kind of wants something different, and but we all want the same thing of just the game to not be ruined, I guess. But we all have different ideas of what that looks like. And as a matter of fact, that's like the perfect encapsulation of that's like the campfire football idea there is that everyone has their ideas of the game. And, that you know, because the whole my whole thing of starting this show was I started hearing so many people's opinions and realizing I you can't control people's opinions. You can only just maybe add your own and opinions are across the board in the sport. There's so many different things people think. And so how this uh, rule stuff pans out over the course of the season with how the media approaches it, I think that the topic of talking to referees after games is is interesting obviously the reticence is that they'll go in there and people will be like so fifth minute foul what the hell yeah. was that all about next yeah. 15th yeah. minute yeah. uh yellow card what was that all about like obviously we don't want it to be that maybe it's more transparency in game but then again do you want refs hot mic'd up when you also want them to be able to tell a player hey man fuck off like <laughs> i want refs to be able to do that on the field without prying ears Sure. But if they're hot mic'd all the time, they have to decide when is it, I push the button and now the whole stadium can hear me. Like, <laughs> you know that that's going to cause chaos yeah. and problems. So it's like, yeah, like you say, Matt, it's like we, we all want the same thing for the game not to be ruined. Um, what changes will actually keep it the same? As Because I don't know about making it better. I think it's more like, you know, there's always debate. That's why, that's why all of this exists. That's why we exist, basically. Well, not exist, think- but. It, there's no this is why metaphysics yeah, yeah. Uh, i think there are like obvious things though that you could do away with like i think it is annoying as hell seeing a player um you know take take a ball out of bounds and then just kick it away when the other team uh is gonna you know take it for a throw in or, or a goal kick or something or, or a corner you know i think that's annoying like you know that that could be punished you know um and it has been a bit this season i think uh kaya has got yellow for kicking a ball away um and I think it's like stupid. And I think as a player, I'd find that really annoying. And I find it kind of annoying to watch. So like there are little actions like that that take place in every game that could probably be legislated out one way or another. Um, and players could, you know, learn new behavior to not do things like that. And um, I think we'd probably see some marginal benefit. But yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky question. I, I Have you noticed that they're uh, doing this thing now um in the uh post-match uh press conferences um sometimes even on the sidelines or in the tunnel i don't really know where they set it up but like they have a monitor now um like they had on nbc and they'll show they'll show players they'll show managers uh specific events that happened on the pitch and they'll say you know like what did you think of this um i think that's great 
Yeah. Opinion, you don't get the manager being like, I don't know. I, I didn't really see it, but it looked exactly, like a penalty to me. Exactly. It calls him like, on that immediately. Like yeah. that's I love that. manager, like, oh, I didn't get to see it. And it's like, okay, well, here's a huge video board. You're going to watch it right now. <laughs> I think that's great. I think it's, any kind of like actual truth to something in the moment, I think it's fine. I just yeah. think it's like, as if it's getting to the point, then it's good. If it's creating new drama, then obviously it's like, oh God, like what did we sign ourselves up for here? Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. My sister is currently sitting downstairs waiting for me so that uh, we can drive up to my mom's house. So I don't want to ah. keep her waiting oh. too long, but, um, but yeah, no. So uh, I, this was, this was really fun. We obviously need to, you know, keep connecting, do this again. Absolutely. Um, and your show, like I said, your show is really fun to listen to because of the, the vibe the three of you have. Um, there's lots of jokes. If people like jokes, there are lots and lots of jokes. It is not serious and uh, like uh, overly serious and like negative podcasting. You guys really do pick things apart and enjoy yourselves. And I think I, I, I definitely recommend you guys as a as a listen to any quote unquote plastic soccer fans in America, which yeah, that's right. as we know, this is what we've always been labeled. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Well, so thank you. any thank closing you so thoughts yeah closing thoughts well uh, thanks for you know letting us be heard on the campfire football yeah, yeah. that was great sitting around the campfire yeah yeah this is, this is... <laughs> we should do this at, in, a, in a campsite sometime no that would be disastrous how would we bring all the recording equipment? that's the problem it's it's the odd <laughs> it's it's all the other stuff I'm not. I, yeah, you're like. Oh, wait. We're not vice. That's right. We don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No. Thanks for having us on, man. It's been fun. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll be excited to see where Chelsea ends up by the end of the season. Yeah. Yep. Well, and if Lester can come back. Oh, hey, right, Maddie. They I think are. it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. At the top of the league. Yeah. No look back. No, they'll be back. Well. Yeah. Maddie Blair Jacob, thanks you guys so much for for being on. This was this was really good. It helped uh, flush out some of the things that I had. And actually, here's what we'll do: we 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 uh, I'll revisit these uh, in the sort of probably in January or maybe right after the January transfer window. I'll revisit these questions because that's like a very pivotal key turning yeah. point moment. And then I'll go back over them at the end of the season. So why don't we just make this our little series for the year? We'll we'll double back on these things. Perfect. See where everything is at. Awesome. Maybe we could have you on for uh, one of our Chelsea weekends. Oh boy, love it! I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. All Let's right. All right, what? guys. Thank you so much for stopping by, for being in. Everyone who's listening, peace, love, and happiness. And uh, and guys out there, don't be a Rubiales. Be uh, be a, be an Angola Conte. Be that kind of person. Be, be <laughs> that's be, true. Be, be good. Be good. Yes. yes. <laughs> all right, guys. Take it easy. Yeah. All right, cheers.